this week will be one of those days when a meal is very, very important, yes? As we come down to this Thursday, there is going to be a lot of eating going on. And um, instead of thinking about Thanksgiving, although I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving, we really need to think about thanks living, what we do every day, and how we go about life every day. This picture, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, this was um, painted in 1867 by George Henry Bowton. And um, I went and looked it up because I heard about this story of a grandmother who had gotten this card in the mail that had this picture of pilgrims walking through the snow going to the meeting house. The grandmother showed this card to one of her small grandchildren and said... Look here, notice the pilgrim children. They like to go to church with their mothers and their fathers. And the young one looked at the picture and said, Oh yeah? So why are their dads carrying guns? (laughs) 1623, Governor William Bradford put out the first Thanksgiving proclamation. And I'm not going to read it to you. I might do that some year, but I'm not going to do it this year. But just summarizing, he said in there that since God had given and granted his protection to the colonies, sparing them from pestilence and disease and granting them freedom to worship him, he called for everybody to gather in the meeting house between the hours of 9 and 12 for a three-hour worship service. Aren't you glad I didn't do that to you today? (laughs) Three hours to express and to render thanks to Almighty God for his blessings. And that's a tradition we carry on. This Thursday will be Thanksgiving. One day in which, as a nation, like those early pilgrims, we have set aside time to come out of our busy schedule and to give thanks to God. And you know what? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yet we here at Oakland Drive Christian Church... We choose to meet weekly for that specific purpose. That's why we take this time around the table. Not only to remember Christ and his broken body, his resurrection, but to give thanks to God. We know that Paul tells us that our continual daily attitude is supposed to be an attitude of thanks living. He told the church in Thessalonica, this is your memory verses for this week. Be joyful always, pray continually, 
Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, I know, and this is not a lesson on how can I do what God's will is, what is God's will for my life, but you know there are some very simple statements in Scripture that tell us very clearly what God's will is. We're to live in an attitude of gratitude. That's to be a continual condition for Christians. Yet, there are some things that can keep us from being thankful. Just a short lesson today. One of those things is pride. Henry Ward Beecher, a famous um, preacher, abolitionist, uh, supporter of women's rights in his day, back in the 1800s, he wrote this, Pride slays thanksgiving, but a humble mind is the soil of which thanks naturally grows. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets As much as he deserves. Do you know what the real problem with that is? I am glad I do not get what I deserve. Because of the blood of Christ, my sins are covered like the snow covers the dirt on the ground. And it's washed away. You see, pride can make us forget that we're not getting what we do deserve. Another thing, another attitude that can keep us from being thankful is a critical spirit. Or, if you want to write it down a different way, constant complaining. There was a minister's wife who told her six-year-old little boy to go wash his hands because germs lived in the dirt. And the boy refused, and of course she forced him to go, and he stomped off towards the bathroom, and he was saying under his breath, germs in Jesus, germs in Jesus. That's all I hear around here, and I've not seen either one. Another middle-aged mother realized that her kids seemed to have the same physical problems that she was experiencing. For instance, they both seemed to have trouble with their eyesight. Her teenage son would go to the refrigerator and open it up full of food and look at it and say, there's nothing to eat. Her teenage daughter would go and open a closet full of clothes and say, I have nothing to wear. Instead of finding things to be grateful for, a critical spirit seems to always find something to complain about. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, said this, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will, and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that, you hear a causal here? Don't complain or argue because. So that 
you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. Paul teaches us in several places that our attitude matters in our salvation. Probably matters in the salvation of someone else who is watching us. A third attitude that keeps us from being grateful is carelessness or if you choose complacency. But carelessness was easier for me to write, so I put that in there. Have you ever heard that those who live by the lake are the ones who fish the least? I heard that back in elementary school. And I'm sure if that's down south, that's up here. Do you realize that you live less than an hour from an ocean, from a wonderful lake? Everybody go, yes, I know that. Yes, I know that. You know what Joy and I discovered last year? There are gorgeous sunsets over on Lake Michigan almost every day. Even when the clouds are out there, God has such a display of his ability to paint with a perfect palette all of these different hues of the rainbow. And last year around this time, for us being up here and being able to go see that, I think we probably went four or five times, standing in the cold on the beach, only ones there, because we're not from here. Just watching the sunset. You know that's happening over there. When was the last time you took the time to go over there? Because you see, sometimes those who live by the lake are the ones who fish the least. Exodus 16, there's this story of the Israelites out in the desert who are grumbling about not having anything to eat. And what does God do? He sends manna to them every day. Enough for them to eat for that day. Now, come Friday, moving towards Shabbat, there would be enough for the next day as well because he had already declared that there was a day of rest, yes? But you know what? After a while, being in the desert, being fed, from God, a high-quality, nourishing meal, all of a sudden, just didn't seem to work anymore. And they started to grumble. Now think about it. How many different ways can you fix manna? You can, you can, have, you can have manna soup, manna bread, Manicotti, manna bagels. 
Bomana bread. Okay, I got that from Keith Green. You can groan at him. But let's face it, folks. No matter what shape you put it in, pasta is still pasta. They had a miracle. Straight from God. Every day. Yet, they were no longer satisfied. Friends, family, if there is a nation that ought to be grateful to God, grateful for his goodness, it ought to be America. If there is a people in America who ought to be thankful to God for his goodness, it ought to be Christians. Thanksgiving should flow from the heart, from the very core of our being. There's another story over in Luke 17. You've heard of it. There's this time when Jesus is walking along and 10 lepers come within shouting distance and call out to him and say, can you heal us? Can you heal us? And Jesus looks at them and says, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they all turn and go. And as they are going, they noticed they're healed. So what do they do? They run faster. All but one who turned and came back fell at Jesus' feet and thanked him. One out of ten. Jesus says, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? And as you read a little further, I can't help but think that maybe this stung just a little bit. The only one who returned was a Samaritan, a foreigner, which meant those that were part of God's people that were healed were more focused on themselves. than on thinking the agent of God's healing. God himself there in that moment. Because this man was willing to say thank you, Jesus said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Have you ever really stopped to consider him saying that? Your faith, singular, has made you, singular, well. Make of it, of, of it as you will. I know when I look at that and I think about it, one of the things that comes to my mind is I believe the other nine missed out on the bigger blessing. Yes, they received a physical healing, but they missed out on a spiritual 
one. Their bodies were healed. But only this man was made whole. God appreciates our thanksgiving. He appreciates our thanks living. Our thanksgiving ought to encompass three things. I'll do this quickly. But this first one we don't ever stop to think about. Our thanksgiving should include the mundane things of life. Do you realize that today, in 2022, we are still at a point in time where two-thirds of the world go to bed hungry nearly every night? You ever stop to consider that? Often our prayers are very general. We say, thank you God for all of our blessings, but what specific blessings are we really thankful for? Do you take the time not just to thank him for that meal, but for a full cupboard? For a friend or a neighbor that will walk along beside of you? For electricity when it's cold outside? Our Thanksgiving also needs to include the afflictions of life. What? Our afflictions? Yeah. World War II. Corey Timboom, a name all of you guys are probably well familiar with. She and her sister Betsy were hauled off during the war to Ravensbrück to concentration camp. They were put into a cabin of sorts off to the side that was infested with fleas. Betsy told Corey that they needed to pray for and thank God for everything in life, including the fleas. And Corey says, the fleas? I got to thank God for the fleas? And Betsy said, yes. So she said, that's what we did. We thanked God for those pesky, biting fleas. In our cabin. Writing about this later, she would remark it was a blessing because those fleas kept the guards from sexually abusing the women in that cabin. And it was a blessing. Betsy did die at Ravensbrook. And it's reported that before she died, she said, There is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. You thank God for when He carries you through life's challenges.
Paul. You want to talk about a guy that had a hard life. Paul wrote this to the Romans. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Very similarly, he wrote to the church in Corinth. And in that letter, he said, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, if you know anything about Paul, how in the world can Paul talk about his life struggles as light and momentary? Five times given 39 lashes. Three times beaten with rods. Stoned and left for dead. Shipwrecked three different times and at least one occasion spent a couple of days lost at sea. And he calls that light and momentary. kind of puts name-calling in perspective, doesn't it? We should also be thankful in the joys of life. There was a young man who was feeling pretty proud of himself. He had just graduated from college and passed his CPA exams with flying colors. And now he was a full-fledged, certified public accountant. His father was an immigrant to the U.S. and owned his own little business. And this son, full of self-importance, the young man began to criticize his father's ways of keeping the books. He said to him, Dad, you don't even know how much profit you've made. Over here in this drawer are your accounts receivable. And over there are your receipts. And you keep all of your money in the cash register. You don't have any idea of how much money you've made. His father paused for a second and he said, Son, when I came to this country, the only thing I owned was a pair of pants. Now, your brother is a doctor, and your sister teaches at an art school, and you're a CPA. Your mother and I own a home, we have a car, and I own this little business. Now, if you add all of that up and subtract the pants, the rest is profit. Thanksgiving is to be a mark of a grateful Christian, yes? Is that not good advice? Add it up. Subtract the pants. That's exactly what we need to do at Thanksgiving. We came into this world with nothing but the eternal soul that God gave us 
and everything else is profit. I want you to think for just a moment. If you subtract the pants, what's left for you to thank God for? We can never give him too much thanks. Our thanksgiving also recognized the generosity of his grace, the generosity of his grace. James writes, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Think about that. He gave us birth through the word of truth. You hear the word of truth. What does that make you think of? Jesus. How do we have birth through Jesus? God in his own generosity sent Jesus here to die for us. And through that sacrifice we are made holy, clean, set apart. We are given a future beyond any we could even imagine. Are you thankful for that? Does your thanks show through in your living? Thanksgiving also draws people to us and to Christ. Because let's think about it. You want to hang out with a Debbie Downer? Or do you want to hang out with somebody who can always find something positive, something to be grateful for? And I know for over the past year, there are several of you out there who have a lot that could make you embittered. And I see in your life that you choose to focus on Christ and not on your circumstances. When we are thankful and joyful and upbeat, we attract the lost to a spirit of gratitude because this world is dark and depressing and ungrateful. And people are longing for a renewal that only Christ can give. Back over to 2 Corinthians 4, just, just a few verses. Positive attitude. I'm not going to read the whole section, but just to give you a flavor of it. He says, we are pressed down on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And he goes on and on there. And he gets down to verse 16 and he says, yet we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, 
we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. God lives in two places. He lives in heaven, and he lives in a humble, grateful heart that has given their life over to Jesus. Remember, thanksgiving is worship. And it pleases God. Father God, we thank you for the cross, for the life of Christ, for the hope and the renewal. We thank you for the fact that that tomb is empty. That Father, we also pause and we thank you that your spirit is here today. That though your word tells us that there will always be persecutions, that your word tells us that we will be rejected by the world. We thank you, Father, that your word tells us that through your spirit, you will guide, you will be with us every step of the way. And thank you for reminding us that this home here on earth is temporary and it holds nothing on the life to come. We thank you, Father, for loving us and giving us purpose in this world. May the glory be all yours. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.